In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Owe no one anything. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For by loving others, we fulfill the law of God. Three years ago this summer, I think, Ken Reitlinger, a dear friend of mine and a recovering alcoholic for over 30 years, taught a Sunday school class with me, comparing the Alcoholics Anonymous organization with the church. How they differ and how they're the same. Kenny always had a, a haunting question for me. He said, why can't the church be more like AA? He said, they're always, when people, when someone comes to an AA meeting, it doesn't matter what they've done. They could be a murderer, they could be a bank robber, or a tax collector, or in what shape they're in. They're welcomed, they're accepted just as they are. The reason, I think, is that they're there for one reason. They're there because they realize that they are, as Kenny would say, that they're drunks and they need to get their life in order. That's, and AA says, please come back. You know, no matter what, it's very, really simple. One reason. So why do people come to church? There's probably as many reasons as there are people. Some come because they want to find friends. Some come because it's the thing to do. Some come because they want to find a place to join, a, someone, a group to be a part of. And some are coming because there's a hollowness in their life. There's, they know that there's something that they're missing. And they need to get their life straightened out. They need to find God. Could we as church members say a similar thing as the people of AA? which might be simply, we want you to live as a, a life as a believer or as a Christian. We want you to know Christ and have eternal life and be with him forever. When a person speaks at an AA meeting, he or she introduces themselves, and it's always the same. Hello, my name is Bob Kuhn, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic, but just for the sake of it, we don't do that in church, do we? Hello, my name is Bob Kuhn and I'm a sinner. It's true. Does that make you a little anxious? Aren't you glad you came this morning? The truth is, is that we don't have it all together either. And we're here because we're trying to find life as God would have it. A Jewish religious leader once asked Jesus, what was the greatest commandment? And Jesus, of course, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your spirit. And then he added, and that's um, Deuteronomy 6.5. Then he added another one, which is Leviticus 19.18. He said, do not seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, but love one another, love your enemy, Love one another. 
as your neighbor. Okay? And then Jesus said there's no commandment stronger or better than these. You know, these last six months, we've been through a lot. We've been through this time recently, not only in our country, but in this, in the world, where the, the love of God and the love of neighbor seem to be lacking. There's been unrest in our cities, as we saw yesterday. There's been looting and rioting. And this pandemic has brought much fear to a lot of people. People even are afraid to come to church. And I understand that. Who can blame them? There is a huge lack of trust, not only in our leaders, but where's God? And I don't think we've handled it well, but the question is, where's the peace of God that passes all understanding? The other day in the office, I was talking to Melody, and she asked me how Evelyn and I were doing in this situation. And, and I said, you know, we're doing okay but I still have a measure of tension that's always around me because I don't want to bring anything home to her. Where is the love of God to help us through this great turmoil and give us peace? Actually, it is all around us. When we know Christ, we're immersed in his love from God in Jesus Christ. I've heard it said he's even closer than our breath. Maybe that's why we can't see him. We need to trust him in this situation as we do in every situation, to know that he's there for us, that we are, his, our best interests are, are his priority, and that he's here with us. That's a given. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthian church in chapter 12 all about the gifts of the Spirit, that when you become a Christian, God gives you certain gifts. But the gifts are not for you and for your benefit. It's for the body. It's loving your neighbor. Okay? These gifts, Paul illustrates the power gifts. He illustrates the leadership gifts, gifts of administration, all those in this chapter. And the, and the chapter ends with this marvelous and provocative line. And now I will show you the most excellent way. It's love. You have to do these gifts in love. It's not the fact that, that mercy is not a, a great gift by itself, or faith, or healing, anything. But it's just that without love, even the most gifted person misses the point. Without love, we are simply, as Paul says, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We're nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. And it is not proud. This passage is used in a lot of weddings because it gives you the picture of what a love between a husband and wife should be. And even with all these powerful elements of love that Paul gives here, Paul is merely expressing the second best picture of love. The second best. What is the best picture of love, you say? 
It's the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And we are permanently in debt to Christ for that overwhelming love that he pours out upon us. Therefore, the only way we can even try to fulfill that obligation is to love others. That obligation never ceases because Christ's commandment to us and his gift to us never ceases. And it is far beyond anything we could ever pay back. In John, 1 John 4.19, it says, We love because he first loved us. If we say we love God but hate our brother or sister, we are liars. For if we do not love our fellow believer, how can we, who we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? It's important that we see this transition that we make this transition from the obligation of the law to the wanting to do that. The obligation says, I, I must do this, I, I should do this. The part that is the grace says, no, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. This is what God has called me to do. In other words, we go from the law or what we're supposed to do to the grace that we want to do. Jesus shows us this in the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about, you have heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See the difference? It's one is law, one is grace. And Jesus gives us that. This is, uh, you should go back and read it, but it's chapter 5, verses 21 through 48. It's the language of the balance sheet. You know, we always think it's one for one. You do this for me, I'll do that for you. But that's not what it is for a believer. It's not one for one. When we're asked to go one mile, Jesus says, go two. When we're asked to give someone our cloak, give them our coat as well. In the Bible, we see different words for love, different meanings for the word love, because in the Greek and in the Aramaic, it's much more accurate and specific in its terms. When I say in English that I love my wife and I love a hot dog, it's the same word, isn't it, love? But I hope it carries a different meaning, at least to my wife. The word for love in the Greek has at least three expressions. There is philios, Clint mentioned this in his sermon last week, which means brotherly love. That's where we get the name for Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Eros conveys passion or erotic love. Then there's agape. Agape is translated unconditional and undeserving love. And that's the love that God has for us undeserving and unconditional. Because we are, un, we are children of God, that love for us is agape. There's no way we could earn that love because we could never do enough good things to qualify for it. 
Have you seen the commercial on TV where the man is building a house of cards and he's on a little ladder and his wife comes in the door and a, a wind comes in and she slams the door and the, all those cards just kind of cascade to the floor? That's the same image for you and me to trying to accumulate enough good deeds to qualify for God's love. It'll never happen. And we, aren't, we don't deserve it anyway. Yet God in His grace bestows upon us that agape love, that undeserving and unconditional love upon those who are called to be His children. It's our task not only to receive that love, but to model it, to give it away, because that's what love is supposed to do. You're supposed to not only to receive it, but you're to give it away. And that's what God is asking us to do. Now, it's to our best ability. We'll never get it perfect. If we give our brothers and sisters without asking anything in return, we give them grace. It brings God pleasure. And I think in our bumbling way, trying to please God pleases God. Owe no one anything. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing love for one another. For by loving others, we fulfill the law of God. Amen.